Amen. Thank you and be seated. Isn't that a beautiful song? <clears throat> and may that be the prayer of our hearts and of our lives. And not just a song that's beautiful, but a, a beautiful testimony to the Lord as we live that out and as that is our heart. My life, Lord, is yours to control. That's easy to sing, right? Nothing to live it. My life is yours to control. <clears throat> I give you my heart and my soul. Your will, Lord, and not mine. Well, the Lord can help us put those things into practice, those truths that we do sing. Take your Bible and let's go to Mark chapter 3 tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Mark chapter 3 is where we left off in our, uh, our Bible study in the book of Mark. And I do not have my PowerPoint tonight. I apologize for that. just did not have a chance to pull that together this week. I guess it was probably the men's meeting that kept me from getting that together. Man, we must have had a good turnout because we've never run out of books before. And I think I printed about as many as we normally do. And usually we've got a bunch of them laying around forever. So uh, praise God for the good turnout of men yesterday. And yes, if you, need a, if you would like a copy of that, we may not be able to get them stapled uh, in the middle like we did these booklets, but we can run some copies off of the pages and fold them up and give them to you if you would like a copy of, of the booklet. Mark chapter 3. And uh, let's begin reading um, in verse, i tell you what, let's just read the passage we read last week and then into the section that we're going to go into today, and then we'll go back and talk about it. Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. This is people he's healing, casting demons out of people. And he, that is Jesus, verse 13, goes up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him and he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. We see a lot in the book of Mark and on the subject of Jesus casting out devils. That is in this particular gospel many, many times. And Mark seems to really focus on that particular ministry of the Lord. And we'll see that again tonight. Lord willing, we get to that point. <clears throat> and, but he's, uh, he gave them the power to heal sickness, verse 15, and to cast out devils. Verse 16, and Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And last week we talked about these twelve disciples, Jesus going up into the mountain. He, he had attracted the multitudes, and, and we saw that on the screen with the map. Uh, the, all the areas around, people were coming in to see Jesus, even though he was facing already uh, opposition from the leadership, from the the um, uh, spiritual leaders of the day. and uh, But the people were attracted to him and they were coming in from everywhere to see these things that were happening to benefit from the miracles, uh, people being healed. Sick. And you know, when you really think about this, these things were not, as uh, Paul says later on, they were not done in a corner. <laughs> I mean, it, what would happen in Stanton if somebody... Uh, were, I'm trying to think of an example that maybe all of us would know. I can't think of anything right now. But somebody that we all know in town that, that's crippled or, 
or that we see every day or, or someone who's, who has some kind of handicap. Or, and then all of a sudden, one day, they're just as, walking around as, as well as anybody else. Would that affect the community around here in Augusta County? And, and, and they started saying some man had, had healed them. Um, I, I'd say that we would say that wasn't done in a corner. And this kept happening. People, have, you know, exorcisms are happening. The demons being cast out of people uh, in that day. And, and by the way, this was all happening in a time when the people of Israel, if they knew the Old Testament, especially the book of Daniel, Daniel is something that's an, Daniel's an amazing prophecy. Because God gave us a timeline right there, just as plain as day, it was in their day that the Messiah was going to come, if it was according to what it had said in Daniel. So it was the right time. Uh, the Rome was in control. They were looking, of course, for a leader to come, not exactly what they thought came, should have come, came. And, uh, and they started seeing these miracles, and these things are happening, and people are bringing their loved ones to Christ, and he's healing. And, and uh, he, then we, we saw in verse 13... He goes up into a mountain and he begins to call specific men to him for a closer ministry to be able to prepare, to be able to teach these men so that they may carry on with being the body of Christ after Jesus Christ ascends into heaven later. So he gathers these men around him. Uh, We talked last week about how these men uh, were chosen by Jesus Christ. How important is this? And again, I think we mentioned, we mentioned last week, Jesus didn't pass out applications. And it wasn't that anybody, they weren't going through tryouts. And he wasn't kind of watching to see how that guy handles. No, no, no. Jesus knows the hearts and men of men. And he knew the 12 he wanted. And he chose that. We just read their names. He chose 12 men. And we mentioned last week, nobody was going to get in Jesus' ear and say, no, wait a minute. Jesus, did you know this about this person and their background? Are you sure? Oh, he was sure. His mind was made up. He chose whom he chose. He knew them. He brought them to himself. What a comfort this would have been to the hearts of those 12 later uh, when there were doubts, when there were times of not being sure, what what, what am I doing here? How did I get to this point? <laughs> Lord, what's going on? Wait a minute. He chose me. He chose me. And we applied that to our lives last week. And then he uh, ordained uh, the twelve, the calling of the twelve. Number two was the ordaining or the appointment of the twelve. Verse 14 and 15, we saw where he ordained the twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Jesus equips. Jesus empowers those that he calls. And we saw how what a motley crew this was. Uh, This is not some uh, group that Fox News is going to gather in a room and just ooh and all over about what a great company is about to be started here because of the great talent uh, that was brought in. No, this didn't look so hot, I'm sure, from the outside. Um, but yet Jesus knew who these men were, and he's going to equip them. He's going to empower them. Not many noble, not many mighty or wise, but Jesus is the one that does the equipping. God gets the glory. 
And yet, at the same time, the balance to that is that the Lord chooses people who even have the natural abilities God has given to them to be able to do the work He wants them to do. And so He takes natural abilities that He has. God's the Creator, right? God's the one who creates us and gives us the abilities that we have. And we follow those things. Those things are good indicators, the direction God wants us to go. And yet, sometimes we hear of stories, testimonies, where people say, I didn't think I could ever do that. Maybe it was an ability God had given them, and they didn't even know it. Nobody had honed it in them. Um, uh, but yet, God was able to help that bring that out of them and equip them in the things that they cannot do. When Christ chose these men, there was that balance between what His power would make of them and what abilities and potential uh, that they had and He would make use of. And then He ordained them. He appointed them to be uh, to two things, to be with them and to send them forth to preach. First, He appointed them to be with Him, this preparatory time, a close relationship with the Lord, uh, special training. Second, He ordained them to go forth and preach and to have this authority to herald the news that the kingdom had come, repent. Um, they were sent forth to have power over demons. Isn't that something? These men uh, fishing one day, and then not too long after, the Lord is giving them power to go forth, and even them doing these miracles, showing the power of God that has come to them. And then number three, his distinctions within this group of twelve. We even narrow it down a little bit more to a few men. Christ surnamed three of these men. Isn't that interesting? At least that we know of in the, in the gospel accounts. Out of the twelve, we find three that seem to have a closer relationship than all, than all twelve of them. And who were those three? Well, Peter, James, and John. Two brothers, James and John, and then Peter. But not the rest. Surnamed. What does that mean, surnamed? As it says there in verse 17. It literally means that he imposed a name. Jesus Christ imposed a name upon them. Does Jesus Christ have the right to name you? He's got the right to everything. Jesus Christ, when you became his disciple, he has claimed everything about you. And if he wants to rename you, he can rename you. Do we agree with that tonight? Is he truly master of our lives? He is. We want him to be, don't we? My life, Lord, is yours to control. And if you want to rename me, Lord, rename me. Well, he did. In, in the case of three of these men, he, he assumed authority to do this, and this would be a name that would suggest their character. Peter. Simon became Peter. What does Peter mean? Well, we know it means Petros, means rock. Rock. Somebody said, the most changeable and wavering man among them. Christ calls rock. A symbol of strength and solidity. Peter was, well, was he strong? <laughs> well, he was strong-willed, wasn't he? He was strong-willed. Was God going to use that? You know, being strong-willed could be a handicap, couldn't it? Being strong-willed could be a problem if you get set down the wrong path. But being strong-willed could be a really great asset for the Lord Jesus Christ if that strong will gets set on the right path. And that's what Peter was. Don't we see that in Scripture? That Peter was strong-willed? 
Well, he was, um, yet he was also emotional, wasn't he? And he was certainly weak and frail, as we see in the Scripture. Christ was doing a work in Peter and saw what Peter would later become. Aren't we glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? That God can look at you and God can look at me and He can see what we see every day in that mirror, that frailty, that weakness, but He sees down the road. Christ sees what, if we submit to His will, what He's going to make of us. Just like Peter, just like James, just like John. He has to do the making, though. Peter would never have become rock apart from Christ. Though the capacities were in his nature, some may say. Christ was going to do a work in this man to make him into a solid rock. Was it going to take some trials? Yes. Hardships? Yes. That goes along with that uh, quote there this morning that Dad read out of the booklet about the mighty oak. Starts as an acorn, doesn't it? And that tree has to go through all kinds of winds and and trials and problems, and yet the sunshine can still be in our soul, but we're still going through those things. And it makes a rock out of a Peter, out of a Simon. Christ is going to do the work in him. And then James and John. So there's Peter. James and John became Boanerges. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly correct or not. That's how I've always heard it. It sounds good to me. Boanerges. Uh, The sons of thunder. Or the sons of commotion. Now, it's interesting because many have said, well, man, these guys must have just been, had tempers. And maybe they did. We do see one account that the Lord gives us. They were ready to call fire down out of heaven at one point to destroy some of these people who were against the Lord. And, and the Lord said, you know not what spirit you are of. But at the same time, we see John is the one who's always closest to the Lord Jesus. He seems to be the one with the most emotion and 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 love for the Lord, just outwardly showing it. And James, we don't hear hardly much at all from him. In the Bible, almost as if he's very quiet and withdrawn. Now we do know that he's the he's martyred. We find out in the book of Acts that sets uh, part of the, of the fire of the gospel spreading. But yet Jesus calls these men sons of thunder, sons of commotion, um, like Peter. <clears throat> the Lord saw the capabilities of these men. And he named them sons of thunder. James, again, Scripture tells us, dies by the sword for his Lord in Acts 12. John is the one exiled to Patmos. And he sees that great vision, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he writes it down. The others were not surnamed. Some that we know, some we know some things about, and others we don't. Andrew, Philip, the first one who was called, Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel. Matthew, the publican, we know that. Thomas, who doubted, what he called Doubting Thomas. James, another James, uh, about whom we know nothing. We just have his name. Um, Thaddeus, or Jude, who we hear speak once in the upper room in one of the Gospels. Simon the Canaanite, or Zeloti, Simon Zeloti. So that's an interesting one there, because he was a zealot. And these were groups of men who uh, would become parts of these political parties, they would join up with against Rome and they hated it. And they were ready to do, there's some good books, some good fiction books out there. Uh, what, what was that one called? Um, we read as a family. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, we'll think of it later and, and give it to you. But just the stories of these zealots 
in that day and in the history of, uh, of that time. And this is who this guy, Simon, was. A member of a very troublesome party, political party who had become a Christian. And likely he would bring that enthusiasm into, the, into Christianity. But that's all we know about these other men, except one more, Judas Iscariot. And that's in verse 19, in Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And boy, what a mystery that is, isn't it? As the others, he was chosen by the Lord. How do you explain that? I can't, can you? I can't fully explain that. I don't know. Um, But he was called. He was appointed to be with him to preach. I know one thing that it shows me. You can be awful close to the Savior. Awful close and you can really have the appearance, can't you? And still not know that, Lord. Isn't that something to think about with Judas? How close can you be to the truth? How close can you be to heaven and still die and go to hell? Boy, that's a solemn thought, isn't it? Solemn warning. Here's Judas, who had apparently power over demons. Who This preacher became the betrayer. The one who cast out demons became possessed by Satan himself. We'll leave that with the Lord. We can't fully understand it. So the conclusion into this section, this same Jesus is still today calling, choosing, appointing His workers. All of His disciples are called to something. We're all called to where God has us to be the salt, to be the light. We went through a list last week of places Jesus calls us to. Where are you? Where have you been called? Where are you planted right now? Bloom for the Lord. Bear fruit for Him. Some He calls into His full-time ministry, we call it. Again, we're all technically in full-time ministry, wherever we are. But what about our pastors and our missionaries? What about our evangelists? God is still calling those men and women to come out of the, these churches. Thank God for these people who give their lives uh, to others in full-time ministry. We need You know, we need godly young men and families to go around this world to continue to carry this same gospel into all the world. And I believe today God is putting His finger on the hearts of young people in churches just like this, even very young people, uh, to begin to show them His will for their life. And it's important for all of us we have to listen to the calling of God and to simply do our part We didn't choose it. He chose it. But yet our part is simple obedience to God's commands. Whatever He's calling us to do. And by the way, it's not just the young people. We have a whole list in that booklet of of, uh, serving God in your fourth quarter. Have a great first three quarters. Amen? But don't give up in the fourth quarter. What's God calling you to do in your fourth quarter of life? Hey, we don't know what God has for each one of us. Let's be open to the will of God and the call of God in each one of our hearts, in each one of our lives. He is able to take the weak things that we deal with every day and confound the mighty. And He gets the glory. He gets the glory. The foolish things to confound the wise. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 3, beginning, let's pick it up with the end of verse 19. Matthew three nineteen. the last part says, And then they went into a house. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. 
And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him. That is Jesus. For they said, he is out of his mind. That's what they said. He has gone absolutely crazy. He is beside himself. That's something. Again, I think sometimes we get these pictures of Jesus in our mind and these stories. We know him so well and we have our ideas and we don't see properly the way they were seeing things. This was not what Israel expected when Christ came. And by the way, we'll point it out in a minute again, but that word friends right there, if you look it up, it has the word itself has the connotation of close kinsmen. This was his family. We see it again. Let's just jump ahead a little bit to verse 31. Verse 31, we come back to this, I believe, same thing. And verse 31 says, Then there came then his what? Brethren and his mother. And standing without sent unto him, calling him. His own mom. This is Mary. That we have the Christmas story about. This is his brothers who have come and they have amongst themselves said, He's gone out of his mind. Isn't that something to think about that with our Savior? We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him. That'd be a little worrisome, wouldn't it? <laughs> come here. <laughs> Let's talk. They had no idea who was calling them unto him, what they had said. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil the goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Now, Jesus is saying something very revealing right there. He's making a claim. We read, the, again, we read these stories so often, we pass right over. What did he just say? We'll come back to it. Verily I say unto you, all... Now, here, this is solemn. And this verse has given many people a sleepless night. Look what he said to those men. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. Let's finish the chapter. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sin unto him, calling him, and the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now let's back up a little bit and talk about some of these things here. Jesus and his chosen disciples, back at the end of verse 19, they come into a house. And again, if you study the word there, it, it almost looks like what it's saying uh, is he came home. Uh, this is where he's staying uh, when he is home at this point in Capernaum. Likely this is the same 
home, the same house of Peter and Andrew, uh, where he was before that we saw. Um, he came into house. And from this point to chapter 6, as I was studying this and looking at the commentary, um, to chapter 6 we see Jesus with these men teaching specifically close to these men, discipling these men, and through different accounts we'll go through the next three chapters. Verse 20, immediately the crowds congregated back to him as he came into the house, and so much demand on him that they couldn't even eat. Isn't that something? They couldn't even stop. It says in verse 20, they could not so much as eat bread. You know, that just is a little, if you read into that, the, the, the sacrifice of Christ for him being kind to these people, giving of himself, just working hard, um, not even taking the time to stop and eat to help out people. The attractiveness to Jesus, see the attractiveness to Christ. Wherever he was, they kept coming to him with their sick and their suffering. Those who were sad, those who were sorrowing, kept coming to Christ. When we, what we see here is the self-surrender of Jesus. He gave himself to them. When we see Jesus the Son, the Bible says we see the Father. Aren't you glad we have a Father who loves us this much? I and my Father are one, Jesus said. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What is the Father like? Jesus even gave up food. You ever get hungry? You know what I'm talking about, guys? Are you in the best of moods when you're hungry? Do you really feel like being kind? <laughs> Sometimes when you're hungry... Ladies, you learned that, haven't you? About your man. You gotta feed him first and then deal with some problems, right? Give him some food. You know, Jesus even gave up food to be kind to people. What's the father like? Take a look at the son. We have a we have a God who we can bring our burdens to. And he takes them and he gives himself to his people. I can cast all my care upon him. And that this God that we love so much, he never gets tired. He never gets hungry. God is so good to us. Verse 21, when his friends heard of it, they went out of a minute ago to lay hands on him, for they said, he is beside himself. <clears throat> again, we'll see this later as we talk about his family. But again, these are his, this is his family. These are his relatives. They are saying he is beside himself. He's lost his mind. And boy, there's a point here. If this was thought of Christ by his own family, Christ himself, is there any possibility that it might happen to some of us somewhere along the way? That people would say, he has absolutely lost his mind. They have absolutely lost their mind in what they are doing. You know, we don't always know what God's up to do. If there's something we can if there's something we can learn from the Bible, isn't it the fact we've gone through Acts and Mark now, isn't it true that we see in the scriptures many times that the majority of people did not understand what God was doing? They didn't see it. And God was working in some and, and bringing them along, and people didn't understand. And here's Jesus Christ Himself. And his own family is saying he's out of his mind. We shouldn't be surprised if it's also thought of us at times. Many people come to Christ. I think of people in Muslim nations who come to Christ. And the stories that you read about and hear, 
with their families, completely disowning them, even threatening their lives. They've gone absolutely crazy following after this Jesus. It happens today. What will people think? Well, what do they think of Jesus? What do they think of Paul? I wonder what Peter and Andrew's daddy thought when they laid down their fishing nets and walked away. You know, think about it. It's easy for us to read those stories. They, they, they left all and followed him. <laughs> well, that's easy to read. Boy, what if it had been me or you? What would people have thought? If you're following Christ and seeking his will, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. Follow the Savior. Follow his calling on your life. Meanwhile, we see the opposition from his foes. And that's kind of what happens here when you read the story. It's, it's like, and then meanwhile, verse 22. Let's go there now. Verse 22, and the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. Well, again, Mark is very quick in giving us details. And when you go to Matthew and you go to Luke, you get a bit more information about this particular account. Uh, while they're in the house, Jesus, between verse 21 and 22, heals another man, a demoniac, a man with a demon. Um, the Bible says uh, that this man was blind and he couldn't speak. And once Jesus healed him from that demonic spirit, he could see and he could speak again. Um, and then we see these men saying that it's through the power of Beelzebub that he has the power to do these things. And that's their criticism. That gives the occasion for the criticism of him by the scribes which came from Jerusalem. The opposition Jesus is facing continues to escalate. We went through all of that. The different things they were accusing him of. The last thing that we saw was the council that met determined how that they were going to destroy him. Figuring this thing out, we have to get rid of him. Since then, Jesus has been doing many great miracles. Mark, particularly, as we mentioned a minute ago, emphasizes the casting out of demonic spirits. Jesus' power over devils and demons. And we see a lot of that in Mark. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus in this account has done nothing worthy of their criticism. Now, we could go back to some of the other criticisms. Remember what they were criticizing him of? That he didn't keep the holy days like they were keeping them. That, uh, that he wasn't uh, being respectful um, uh, and all of that. But here he's just simply healed a man. And they've been watching. They've been waiting for opportunities to say something now. He had healed an individual. Um, it's criticism now out of pure hatred. Pure hatred for him. How could they be so blind? Have you ever asked yourself that? <laughs> I mean, it's the right time. Look at what he's doing. Look at the miracles. I mean, things are happening and, and, and the people are saying, we never saw anything like this before. How could they be so blind? Of all people, the scribes, should have been the first, the ones who knew that Old Testament so well. Should have been able to see as they saw, as they saw the Old Testament and they saw these things before him, before them. Jesus fulfilling the prophecy that they knew so well, but they had their own preconceived ideas. Somebody somewhere along the way had told them how it was supposed to happen. This is what's supposed to take place. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what you need to look for. And it wasn't happening that way. 
and they were blind as could be when it was right there in front of their faces the entire time. He hath Beelzebub. That word Beelzebub can mean the Lord of the house or it can mean the Lord or Prince of the demons. It is also actually literally translated the dung god. D-U-N-G. The dung god. Beelzebub. This is filthy. When you really read into what they're saying, it's filthy what they are calling Jesus right here. And they're mocking Him in the way that they're criticizing Him. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. I guarantee you they're not doing it today. And any man today, as Pastor Sparks reminded us yesterday, that's not bowing the knee to Jesus Christ, one day is going to bow the knee to this Lord and this Savior and this Master. They said He's doing it by the power of Beelzebub. Under the mastery of Satan. They said by the prince of the devil he is casting out these devils. So they were saying he really didn't care about you people. He doesn't really care about your needs. Why this is all self-aggrandizement. This is personal ambition. That's what, that's what they're saying. It's not now questioning what he's doing. It's questioning the motives behind what he's doing. By the power of Satan. By the power of the devil. Not real service. Not real love. He's only trying to make a name for himself. Remember, Jesus' mission was to declare the kingdom had come. With great signs and wonders, it should have been obvious. What was going on right in front of their face, God is up to something. God is up to something great. It's the right time. It's according to the prophet Daniel. These things are not done in a corner, and these men are accusing him of personal ambition. Men never seem to like the way God does things. Isn't that true? Men never seem to like the way God does things. And God never does things the way men think He's going to do them. It's part of the fingerprint of God. It just is every time in the Bible. It's amazing. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. That's part, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, my salvation is not to get me to heaven. I mean, that's going to be a great thing, right? That's, that's a good thing. But it's not all about me going to heaven. It's all about God getting glory. It's all about God getting glory. So you know what God's going to do? He's going to make His plans. He's going to tell us some information. He's going to say His purposes. He's going to make it clear. But He's going to do it in a way we never even thought about. And it's going to test our faith. It's going to test our faith. And in the end, we're going to look back and we're going to see, my goodness, He kept every promise. Just like he said he would. You know, we got to be careful getting dogmatic about some things. Now, there's some things we can say this is, we know about it, this is truth. There are other things maybe we got to learn our lesson and say, well, let's let God be God. And let's follow his plan for my life today. Let's move forward for Christ today. God makes promises, God gives his word. Men come up with their own ideas of what God's doing or he's going to do. Why is it just so hard for us to just believe God? Isn't it hard sometimes to just trust Him, just believe Him, to come on board with God's plan? We too can be stubborn people. It's easy to look at the scribes and say they're so stubborn. How can they be so blind? We can do the same thing. We can do the same thing and be a stubborn people. What if God chose to work in a way that we wouldn't choose? What if something happened in my family and it totally took me by surprise? 
would I still be on board with God? What would it take to, to rattle my cage enough to shake me off the boat? I don't want to think about that. But I hope, I hope, I would say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. My life is yours to control. I'm on board with your plan, Lord. Whatever that may be, whatever that may mean. Well, verse 23 and verse through verse 30, we see here Jesus' answer to these scribes as He shows them how false their accusation is. And then he second, secondly, He shows them the secret of His power. They know that Satan's motive would be personal ambition. Isn't that interesting? They know that, that if Satan's at work here, it's going to be personal ambition. Not really caring about other people. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped as God. But these men don't see his methods. Satan doesn't fight against Satan, Jesus says. Satan fights against God. These men are under the control of Satan. <laughs> the ones who are doing the accusing are the ones who are actually under the control of Satan. And the influence of Satan. Satan fights against God. Through these very men, Satan is attempting to deceive men about his own methods. Satan can be very confusing. Can he? And that's a sign of, of Satan's work. The Lord God is never the author of confusion. It's Satan who's the author of confusion. In order to keep people blind to the truth and hold them in his grasp, and these are Satan's devices. They are suggesting that Satan himself had been working these amazing miracles, casting out these demons. He's deceiving men about his own devices. Satan constantly lies, constantly deceives, slandering God's people, slandering God himself. And then Jesus says something interesting in verse 27. He says, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. What is Jesus claiming right there? Jesus is claiming to be the strong man that can bind the strong man. He's claiming to be the stronger man. He's the one casting out these devils right there in front of their faces. And he is saying, I'm stronger than Beelzebub. I'm stronger than Satan. I'm the strong man who defeats the strong man and comes in and cleans out the house. Jesus Christ is making that claim, claiming to be the one who is stronger, superior by his own power to the whole dark underworld of evil. Jesus Christ. That's quite a claim that he's making right there. And then verses 28 and 29. Wow, what a couple of verses. It is the Holy Spirit that is drawing men to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's read those verses again and then talk about them quickly. Verily I say unto you, verse 28, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. It is the Holy Ghost it is the Holy Spirit who is speaking to men's hearts, right? It's the Holy Spirit who's drawing men and women, boys and girls, to the Savior for salvation of sins. It is the Holy Ghost who is calling men. No one gets saved unless they're drawn. We believe that. 
unless they're drawn of God, the Holy Spirit, unless the Word of God has come in and is doing its work in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And if these men begin to blaspheme the very Spirit of God among them, accusing Jesus of having an unclean spirit, a spirit of Beelzebub, a spirit of the devil himself, rather than the Holy Spirit, accusing Jesus of motives of being of, of self-ambition, they were now not only accusing him of his methods, but the motives of his heart, where the Holy Spirit was very much present and working through him, as he said, I do always those things that please the Father. These men are doing something that we see all around us even today. They're calling good evil and evil good. And they're becoming reprobate in their minds. Exactly what Romans talks about. Paul tells us in Romans. What, is, what does Paul say in Romans? That a man or a woman can go so far into sin and keep ignoring that Holy Spirit of God, drawing them to Christ, continue to ignore that Holy Spirit, continue to push it off, continue to do their own thing and have their own way, whatever I've been taught, and this isn't, and push that Spirit out and push that Spirit out. Until finally, the Roman, in Romans, Paul says, God gave them to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient. I don't understand all the ins and outs of that. I don't know anybody I could point to today and say God has given up on them. I believe God could save any soul that comes to Christ. And Jesus Christ knows the answer to that. But I do believe there's a line. There's a line with God. We can push that Holy Spirit away. Push that Holy Spirit away. And I believe Jesus is telling those men... You are in danger because you keep pushing away the Spirit of God trying to draw you to the Savior. Oh, folks, I hope there's nobody in here like that tonight. You know what I, a pastor told me one time, or, or preached one time, that I remember hearing that was so good. Many people struggle with this unpardonable sin, right? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? And he said something that never left me. He said, you know, if you've ever had that thought or worry, then you probably have it. <laughs> because it's people who have no concern about it whatsoever that are in danger, right? It's the people in this world who give, don't give a flip about the unpardonable sin, who are pushing the Holy Spirit away, who are flaunting their sin in the face of God, who are in danger of what Jesus is talking about here. Let me show you something in the book of Acts, and we'll end with this tonight. Calling good evil and evil good is nothing new. Acts chapter 7, let's turn over there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> this is the account of the stoning of Stephen. And we can't read the whole chapter. I wish we could, but uh, or at least the part where they take Stephen and he preaches his message. But let's pick it up in Acts chapter 7. He, Stephen is going through with these men the history of Israel. Going through the history. They know it so well. They're so proud of it. And he's going through the history. Let's pick it up right about in the middle there in verse 37. And I want you to listen to what Stephen is saying to these men. Maybe some of the same men. Maybe some of the same scribes. Look at verse 37. This is that Moses, Stephen says, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. 
Him shall ye hear. Who is that prophet tonight? Who? It's Jesus. Verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers, this Moses, who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them. And in their hearts they turned back again into Egypt. Isn't that interesting? In their hearts they went right back to Egypt. Verse 40, saying unto Aaron, remember this story? Make, unto, make gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, we brought, uh, I'm sorry, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then, look what it says, God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God Remphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon, God told them. And he did. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus. Now that word Jesus means Joshua. With Joshua into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a, a tabernacle or build a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, heaven is my footstool, my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Now look what he says. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Wow. You do always, what's the next word? Resist who? The Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. He is saying the same thing to these men as Jesus had said to those scribes. You are in danger of committing the unpardonable sin because you continue to resist the Holy Ghost. Well, did they fall down in repentance and change their ways? Verse 52, let's finish it out. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and the murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of what? The Holy Ghost. Looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. Isn't this a beautiful picture? Standing. <laughs> I think that kind of gives us a picture of a martyr, of a saint of God coming to heaven. We don't know what all takes place when someone dies for Christ. But we see what happened to Stephen. He looks up into heaven and he sees not the, the Son of God sitting on the throne, standing. 
as if to welcome this man. As in, as in uh, these men are throwing stones at this fellow for the things that he has said. And Jesus is standing on the right hand of God. And said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopping their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, casting him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And the purposes of God just go right on forward <laughs> with this Saul of Tarsus. Isn't God amazing? Again, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. Let's end tonight with that. May the Lord help us never to be of that camp. To resist the Holy Ghost. Obviously not in salvation. I hope tonight there's no one here that's warming a church pew again this evening. That does not know Christ as your Savior. And you've been resisting the Holy Ghost. Because it would be too embarrassing. It would certainly be humiliating on my pride. I'll tell you something. Think on the words of Christ. Don't be in danger of resisting the Holy Ghost in that way. The Holy Spirit. Come to Jesus Christ tonight. If you have not put your faith in Jesus and there's no fruit in your life, come to Jesus Christ. Now, what about us Christians? Can we also resist the Holy Ghost in our lives? In the things Christ wants to teach us and the direction He wants us to go? Yes, we can. Now, I don't think any Christian's in danger of going to hell. I don't think any Christian's in danger of being unforgiven. Praise God for that. Amen. We're in the hand of God. But there are dire consequences, even for God's children. It is a dangerous thing to be found in the hands of an angry God. You know that passage is talking to God's people. Can God be a good parent? <laughs> yes, He sure can. I told our kids the other day, God knows how to give spankings. A whole lot worse than Daddy and Mommy's. And He really does, doesn't He? Let's not be in danger of resisting the Holy Ghost as a Christian. Resisting what God's trying to teach us and show us and lead us. Let's submit. Amen? Let's submit to the Lord. Whatever that means for each one of us tonight in our own lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You tonight for Your Word. Thank You for Jesus, our Savior. Thank You, Lord, for these accounts that we have. And Lord, we thank You that in seeing Christ, we see You, the Father. We thank You for the love we thank You for the spirit of giving. Lord, we thank You for the servant, Son of God, who we're following through the book of Mark. And Lord, I pray that You'll help us tonight, each one of us, to search our own hearts. God, help us. Help us to follow the leading of Your Holy Spirit in our own lives, in our own families. Lord, help us tonight, if there's anyone here this evening, a young person or an older person, Someone that doesn't know Christ. Lord, we all have family members and people who we are trying to witness to. Lord, may we never give up. Lord, help us to pray for them that they'll receive the witness of the Spirit. Submit. Believe on Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's stand to our feet tonight and just take a moment. We're going to have the piano play a little bit as we do in these invitations. And why don't we just take a minute of quiet, pray to the Lord this evening, ask for forgiveness, get things right with God.
acknowledge Him for who He is. He is Master. He's Master of my life. He wants to rename me. He can rename me, do whatever He wants. Let's give ourselves to God tonight. If there's someone here tonight and you're unsaved, come down to this, down forward. We'll, we'll get someone to help you or you can go out the back door if you want. Go find a room somewhere and kneel down at a table somewhere by yourself and, and just give it all to Christ. Run to Jesus Christ. As the pianist plays tonight, if you need to, right there in your pew, talk to the Lord. Whatever you need to do tonight, let's just take a moment here without distraction before we leave. Let's do business with God. We can help you. You come. Lord, we do pray that you'll help us tonight. God, I think all of us, I believe, Lord, in, in agreement, in one accord tonight, would say we want your will for our lives. God, help us, each one of us, to just follow you. God, we love you. We thank you for how good you've been to us. Lord, how we look back and we see that we really can trust you. God, may that give us strength and courage to trust Your Spirit's leading and guidance in the days to come. And Lord, I pray tonight, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, God, help them not to resist the Spirit a minute longer. Pray for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for coming tonight. Tuesday is the uh, memorial service here for Miss Jenny. And it's hard to believe even saying that, isn't it? Uh, One o'clock. Uh, family time or the visitation. Two o'clock is the service. And then Wednesday night we'll be back here as normal. The Wednesday night service. Thank you for coming. We can help you let us know.